as parents, we try to be this superhero, this Superman where we do everything right. But think about it. Superman comes from an alien planet. He can shoot laser beams out of his eyes. He never gets hurt. Like he's this amazing, he can fly, speed of faster than a speeding bullet, all this stuff. Where I was like, you should try to be more like Batman, a regular person who deals with shit, who has their own demons, but uses the resources around them to try to make the world better. Don't try to be Superman. Just be honest and let your kids see that you're a human being just like they are. So you don't set some expectations that will never be met and they will never meet them and feel like crap themselves. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. I am glad you are here for another week as we have a fascinating a heartwarming, wonderful conversation with Dr. Antonio Harrison. Before we get into this episode, Dr. Antonio Harrison, also known as Coach Doc, he will be one of the keynote speakers at the Financial Therapy Association's conference this October, October 5th to 8th in Denver, Colorado. The Financial Therapy Association is a wonderful organization. Check them out at financialtherapyassociation.org. Their 2022 conference will be in October, Denver, Colorado, and Coach Doc will be a keynote speaker. Check out their website, grab a ticket, and come see Coach Doc live in person. Also, if you can spare me two minutes, maybe three, can you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? Those reviews definitely do help, so please and thank you in advance. Who is Dr. Antonio? He's a devoted father graduate school professor, varsity football coach, published author, and behavioral scientist that is giving parents and young fathers a new mindset about raising children today. His combination of charisma, compassion, casualness, a refreshing approach from the doctor with the tie, fancy suit, luxury car, and life experience and normalcy. Dr. Harrison is the doctor who is fully tatted, dresses like you, sounds like you, and has been through what you have. Growing up, Very true. Among, <laughs> I like that intro. Growing up among a generation and culture that saw many fathers absent in their child's life due to dependency, incarceration, or simply leaving the home, gave Dr. Harrison a drive to not follow the same path. He excelled early at swimming, basketball, track, and played football as a four-year starter in NCAA for Grinnell College, where he earned All-Conference and Freshman Athlete of the Year. After a devastating knee injury, he turned his focus to education and received a BA in psychology, then graduate school to pursue a master's and PhD in behavioral analysis. His goal is to connect with fathers and parents all over the world to give them someone real they can learn and share from to better their lives and the lives of their children. In this episode, we talk about the value of being a coach the value coaching has on our lives and how it can transform our lives beyond the field. And I was doing air quotes to the field, meaning how coaching and coaches transcend 
all areas of our lives. I really enjoyed how Coach Doc focused on how we can become a better version of, of ourselves when we look inside of ourselves to find the answers, as opposed to always looking for answers outside of ourselves, which in and of itself, I love how in this conversation, Coach Doc talks about being a father and how being a present and active father can really change our child's lives. And to me, being that active and present father is really living that rich life. I was doing air quotes again. Rich meaning it is enriching as opposed to just always chasing it, trying to find money. Being active and present with your children is a gift no treasure can hold. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Antonio Harrison. Coach Doc, thank you for that bio. You have such a fascinating background, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it, and uh, I might have to hire you to come and do some intros for me in other places, man. (laughs) Oh, I was sweating that whole thing. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I'm a little more relaxed and not reading, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. We were just talking, and uh, Sandra had introduced us, and... I knew with a Sandra introduction that I think the the conversation would be great. But as I started diving into your background, I really found myself becoming more and more excited for this conversation because you you have such a diverse and fascinating background, whether it's from a parenthood, your formal education, the athletic side. So, so many things I would like to dive into, but I thought we would start with something that I read online a few times. And I think if you explained what this means in your terms, it would give people a bit more understanding of who Coach Doc is. So my question is, why are you so passionate about, these are your words, helping people tap into the inner warrior that lies dormant? I look at what's been going on lately in the past couple of years and how much it's affected people's mental health and wellness. And it's a great thing that that's been brought to light for everybody and that this has become something real and it's not old school, like, you know, bottle your emotions. You got to be strong. You got to push through type thing. But at the same time, I believe every answer to every question you has lies within you. You don't have to search anywhere for it. People forget how much they've been through in life and how much they've overcome when those hard moments hit. But if you've tapped into your inner warrior, you can let that bad boy out to play anytime you want, you no longer worry about facing whatever obstacle comes your way because you know you have the means to handle it. And I think everyone has that. I just have, I don't want to say mastered it because I think it's a lifelong thing. I've worked with my inner warrior longer because of athletics. When it's practice or it's hanging out with your buddies or film, yeah, everything's normal. But once that whistle blows and it's game time, there's a different beast that comes out. And it's okay for that to come out in your normal everyday life if you can control it. That last statement, if you can control it, personally, I'm curious. So I'm, I'm Canadian. Maybe it sounds stereotypical, but I lived and breathed hockey growing up. I was a quiet kid, but you put a hockey stick on my hand and my dad would call me Seanster the Monster. And my inner warrior would come out all the time. 
I really gained a lot of life lessons and really long-term relate. So many valuable lessons from, from sports. But that last part, if you can control it, I don't think it was until the last few years of my life that I understood even what it was that my inner warrior, if I wasn't in a hockey rink. So what have you learned, whether it's yourself or working with other people and how you can take that inner warrior off the field or off the hockey rink into the real world and not just bash around a grocery store and knock everything around? Well, the first part is you have to feed it. Whether you give it the term inner warrior or that beast within, that monster within, a lot of people think it's a bad thing. You should starve it. That thing shouldn't come out. But what happens is if you only feed that light, positive, everything's great side of you, you starve the other side. And when you starve the other side, it becomes a ravenous beast that will take over. Right? So you feed both of them equally so that they can play together nicely. So I know when something happens out in the world, okay, it's time for me to step up and say something and do something. I don't have to be aggressive about it, but I know where it's coming from and what part of me I'm presenting. Or if something else happened and goes, no, the, the warrior's got to chill on this one. Let's be kind and tolerant and gentle. Because if I don't do that, the slightest little thing that happens, that's when people get set off and blow up. And all of a sudden that beast comes out who hasn't been fed that warrior comes out and just starts destroying everything because you've starved it for so long. For me, a lot of that looks like comes out or manifests in the form of my workouts. It manifests in the form of the, the work that I do in virtual reality and coaching other people, but also allowing myself time like yesterday. We had a really great day. I, I just absolutely destroyed work. Like I just, I killed it. And so I came home and I had some scotch and some beers and I watched the NBA final, right? Like I enjoyed myself. I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't say like, oh, this is going to kill me tomorrow or like beat myself up and feel guilty because I didn't do my PT at night when I was supposed to for my back. And no, I was like, you know what? This is what I'm doing today. And I'm kind of feeding that, that dark side a little bit and we're going to have fun with it. And it's okay. It's okay. It's a good thing. To me, that's the best way for you to control it is by feeding. I, I guess I hear some balance too. Yes. Not all or Always. nothing. Yeah. No, yeah. Never, never all or nothing. Another thing that I observed when I'm looking at your background is a word that I feel like has quite a bit of significance or meaning to you, especially with an athletic background. But can you talk about what does the word coach mean to you? I know we know like like we can look it up on the in the on Google and find the word coach, but even your, you know, your name, Coach Doc. What is about this word that maybe resonates with you? To me, a coach is not someone who just teaches you about a sports-specific skill or a skill, whatever it is, the coach that they're working with. A coach is an extension of family. I'll give you an example. So for me as a coach, I always want to bring things out of people they didn't know they had. And not just in the workouts that we're doing, but where it could be generalized or transferred over into their life, where it could be someone saying, you know, I didn't think I could do this thing. And then Coach Dodd's voice popped in my head like, you got this, right? And this is them asking for a raise at work. Or I went to go get something done at the store and there was this conflict and my anger and temper started to rise. And I heard Coach Dodd's voice saying, breathe. And I just took a step back and took a breath and like stopped, stay still, thought, and everything was okay. And I get that from the coaches that I've had 
specifically Coach Tom Fry, who passed away a while back, but uh, he was my high school football coach. And my senior year of high school was probably my best year of high school athletically. And that entire year, my dad was incarcerated, so he missed all of my sports. And my dad coached me from three years old until I was in high school. Fry just became my dad at that point. Not just like what we're coaching on the field, but what's going on in my life, what's going on in my family's life. At 16, I got arrested for a DUI in possession. And when I got released from jail, who was there at three in the morning? Fry, right? Like he didn't have to be there. So if you just called him a football coach, that just, that, that wouldn't do it justice to what he meant to me. And so that's the type of coach I always try to be for everyone where even if I'm just on the football field with my players and we're kind of sitting back watching things, I won't talk to them about what's going on on practice field. I'll be like, what books you read? Who are you dating? What do you like? What are you into? Well, I saw you the other day. That outfit was pretty cool, man. Like, where'd you get that? Extending that, that family, right? Where my best friends in my world, they're not my best friends in my household to my kids. They're uncles. That's what a coach is to me. Wow. You know, you, you hear these stories often about the one you explained with your experience while your father was away. What, what does it mean to be, you're back to your 16-year-old self, to have that, that individual, that coach, step in and provide that, I guess, that, that foundation that, you know, you might not have had at that point. So maybe if there's coaches listening or other people, I guess, yeah, just what does that mean to be able to do that with somebody? You just saying that sentence gives me chills all over my body. I could have easily gone down the wrong path had it not been for someone like Fry. And I'll tell you how much it meant to not just me, but to my own father. My father is a six foot one Hulk, just, I mean, 24 inch biceps. Like he's just a gigantic man. When he came home, the first thing he did was went to go see Fry breaking down, just telling him, thank you for being there. So it, it means more than you know. And I've learned as a coach myself, like, yeah, this kid you had this great connection with, he may never come back to see Coach Doc, right? Like he may never come back to see me and just be like, hey, what's up, coach? Like, but I know that if I were to pass away, they would be at my funeral. I know if something crazy happened and they found out, there would be a network of folks being like, what can we do? I had a garage that had all my, my work office stuff, my podcasting, it was a man cave. It burnt to the ground. Three of my former players and their parents got together and put together a gift card of like $1,000 for me to recoup what I could. I'll get a text message from a former athlete who goes, coach, this is my, my first semester in college and I just got a 4.0 GPA. And it's because during football season in high school, you made us all sit in the front row of every class. And now I do that as a habit. And it's just absolutely changed everything academically for me. Those are life changers. It's not just about winning some, like, I don't remember the games that I played. Like, of course there's moments, but what I remember is, and I know I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place, but it's, it's meaningful to me. Um, I have tattooed on my side, this one sentence from coach Fry and here, here's a perfect moment. I was one of those guys who was like a Ronnie lot type where like, I'm just flying my body into people. Just, I mean, I was taught, use the crown of your head, put it underneath the chin of somebody's helmet. And like, you just knock them out. And at that time, they started to really get into this idea of form tackling. And Fry kept being like, you got to tackle this way. It's going to protect you and save you and yada, yada, yada. And we worked on it all week in practice. And we get to the game and their running back bounces out to the right. And I come flying downhill trying to make this form tackle. 
And I hit the guy and I hit him hard enough to dislocate his shoulder. And so he walks out of bounds, but he didn't go to the ground and I didn't technically make tackle. And I come off to the sideline. I'm yelling and screaming at Fry like, this is the stuff you're trying to teach me, man. You're going to get me hurt out here. Didn't I? And he just like waited for me to be done and stopped and smiled. And was like, yeah, it's my fault. You missed the tackle. And like, we just burst into laughter on the sideline with each other and like gave each other hugs. Like, all right, man, I'm gonna go back out on the field. <laughs> I don't remember what happened in the score of that game. I remember that moment though. It's such an influential position, the coach. It, it, it seems to me what you're saying here is like, and I've almost, I've experienced this with coaches too, is like with the right coach, like Fry, it sounds like as young kids or even young adults being coached, if they see you for who you are, and make you feel seen. It's like they give you permission to be yourself beyond the field. And that's what I really found with a lot of your work and I was interested in is this like deeper underbelly of what it means to be a coach. And with your background on a behavioral analysis or looking at human behavior, you must see a fundamental difference between people who like have that fry in their life who, who give them permission to be themselves because they see that person who try to make a change versus someone who just read on Google how to do a change, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, completely. I'll go from both sides of it. The one side is folks who don't have a fry, they tend to be scared to make mistakes because someone's been yelling at them, someone's been in their face or they've just Googled and want to try to follow this regimen, this thing and do it this way that because they researched it, which sidebar, if you just are Googling something, that's not research. It's a literature. <laughs> it's a literature review. It's not research. Research is actually doing the thing. Is it a literature review if I just read the title though? Yeah. <laughs> just skimming. Yeah. <laughs> the other part of it is, and I, I know this as being a coach is you have to know your players and you have to get to know them because what works for one is not going to work for the other. I always say some players need a pat on the back. Some need a kick in the ass and some need to be left alone. And some need a combination of all three. And you got to know my star linebacker, best football player I've ever, ever coached. He did not want to be in front with all the accolades and all the trophies and being praised. He wanted to be hiding in the corner and left alone and just let him play. Cool. That's what we're doing. Make you feel comfortable the way you feel comfortable. And when you can do that, you start to see people blossom and be comfortable with who they are because that person they look up to or the guru or the sifu or master that or teacher or coach that they have that they aspire to get something from and become their better selves, they feel comfortable if, if this person is allowing me to be me and I no longer feel threatened and I no longer feel worried. I can do that with the rest of the world. Okay, now I got goosebumps on that last part. And <laughs> for people listening, they're used to us not diving into money right away or even throughout the conversation, but might be wondering, what, what are we talking about? That last statement is what, what I envisioned, and it, it did come up, is when you said a coach can help someone blossom to who they are, a better self, and being me, like the person. To me, that is so important. Of course, we need money to, to get our basic needs met. But money has this intoxication effect of distracting us from blossoming who we are, being a better self, and being me because we fall in line of the social construct of here's how we got to make money. I want to promote my self-worth this way. So that's exactly why I thought it'd be so important to have you on here is just to be 
help us understand from a coaching perspective, a behavioral change perspective, where you have a PhD in behavior change, is how can we remove those external distractions, money or anything, so that we can step into that better self, better part of ourselves or being me. So I'm going to throw it over to you is on your work, your research, your education, because you actually have research. um, How do we, and there's probably not a one answer fits all, remove those distractions that distract us from being ourselves? I'll give you a few things. First off, the fundamental philosophical question every human being should ask themselves and try to answer is, who am I? Most people don't do that. If you were to write down on a piece of paper all the labels that society has given you, brother, father, coach, doctor, teacher, you know, whatever it is, and then you removed all those labels, what are, what's left? What's left, right? What's left is me and you are the exact same. We're the same thing. And until you start to tap into that question and find out who you are and what makes you feel good and what's comfortable, it doesn't matter what the distractor is, whether it's money or fame or envy or jealousy or men or women, there will always be there. But I asked another question to folks is, what do you do for yourself every day, right? Are you waking up and, and first off, are you using your phone as an alarm? So now you hit the alarm on your phone There's a bunch of notifications. You haven't even put your feet to the floor yet, and you're already scrolling through your phone. That's what most people do nowadays. My alarm clock is a sunshine alarm clock that has radiant light that increases as as I wake up. First thing I do, I get up at 4 a.m., and it's not because I'm a morning bird. I actually love being in at night, but it's because I have three children. If I wake up the same time as everyone else, immediately my attention is grabbed in three different directions, plus my wife, four different directions, and my own. And now we're rushing. But if I wake up at four, the first thing I do is I thank what I, people can call it God, universe. I call it one. I thank one for waking up. I turn off my thing. I go and make the coffee, brush my teeth, use the restroom, pour the coffee for French press. Then I immediately have a, take a cup of water, go out back. I meditate for 30 minutes. I then journal and write down some warrior quotes from my own interpretation and read a passage from the Tao. After we do that, I'll do this Shaolin stretching workout. And then I'll sit on the back porch with my coffee and a cigarette and have a conversation out loud with one, just about whatever I'm thinking. And then I go back and write some other things down. And then I practice Spanish because it's something I've wanted to learn. And now it's 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. I've had three hours to myself to do more with myself than most people do all week. And now I can wake the kids and the family up and be in a, such a good frame of mind. I have not touched my phone the entire time. And also my phone is on do not disturb at all times, but you can star contacts so that their ring will come through. Family and friends, I want to have access at all times. I star them. Everyone else, you get my voicemail. But those are the things I do for me before I do anything else in the world. I heard some financial guy say, you should always pay yourself first. Well, why aren't you paying yourself in terms of your own well-being? Why are you not being proactive in thinking instead, just always being reactive in thinking instead of taking, like it's a muscle, your brain's a muscle like everything else. And if you don't work a muscle, it it deteriorates. So why aren't you doing anything for yourself before you do anything for anybody else? So that's how I try to set myself up to be, to get away from those distractors. And that's the best way I've found is by having yourself your own routine that, yeah, am I 100% disciplined in it? No. 
I drank last night, so I woke up a little later, right? But it'll get done. Me time will still happen. I appreciate that answer. And, you know, going back to that question of who am I, it seems like that stillness is a a good time to contemplate that on a deeper level when those distractions aren't around. And, you know, sometimes we have this culture of rise and grind or work hard, work hard, work hard and make some money. And what's it all? I often think, what's it all for if I don't know who I am? Yeah. And when is it enough? Right? Like we want to currently buy a home because my boys are getting old enough to where they can't share a room anymore. We want to have each of them have their own room. Right. And I want land and with kind of trees everywhere and, and like, cool, hopefully we'll get that. But what is actually enough for me is that they're happy and healthy and I'm happy and healthy. And like, yeah, my house is maybe not the way I want it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, my car could get a new paint job or something, but like in the grand scheme of things, what is that going to do for me besides a a gratification in that moment until the next thing that I want? Right. So what, what's enough for you? What are you chasing? How, if you want to be a multi-billionaire, cool. If that's your dream, go for it, but don't get there and then go, now I got to be a trillionaire. Like, what do you keep chasing? Yeah. I, I thank you for that point. And I often have to say this sometimes is that I don't think, yeah, it's money. If people like to your point, if you want to be that wealthy, wealthy from a financial person, go for it. But what I really like I'm hearing is what is it for? What are you chasing or what are you running from? And what are you willing to sacrifice? Because folks mm. who make that type of money, they don't see their kids the way I see my kids. I pick my kids up and drop them off at school every single day. I don't miss their sporting events or their plays, right? Like I'm there. My middle son has a birthday party at a movie theater to see the new Jurassic Park. Guess who's going with him, (laughs) right? Like, so what are you, if you're willing to sacrifice all that, by all means, it is your life. That's not the life I want. Yeah, okay. And so this is what I think the crux of what I I thought we would have a chat to chat about. And it just happened on its own, which is great, is that it's having that awareness, that ability to intentionally decide, do I want to work or do I want to be at a sporting event? And I think as fathers, I'm a father of two, mothers, parents, we all aspire to be family people. And often, though, if someone observed us, maybe this this value of family isn't always being played out as we're working late, we're running around. And a lot of times I, I know life can get so, so hard and I, I I don't want to sound like I'm judging if someone's life is like that. But I think it's trying to get that stillness time like you have in the morning to evaluate, am I spending my time how I want? And I say this, and I have an intent to this question here, but money is so deeply intertwined in all our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs about ourselves. And it's really unconscious that the, the, the money beliefs that we have that came from our previous stories from childhood and so forth. And I've heard you talk a lot about self-worth, and I want to go in a direction here When I look at the research around self-worth and money, people who have cultivated or built a higher level of self-worth actually have a healthier relationship with money where they have more intentional purchases or intentional careers they picked, etc. I've heard you talk on your podcast about cultivating self-worth, especially with your children. And specifically, I listened to this one episode when your young seven-year-old son joined you on the podcast. 
And you guys were talking about self-worth. And as a father, my son's six, my daughter's three. It like touched my heart. I was like, oh, this is this is Thank remarkable. <laughs> and right before we were recording, I was volunteering inline skating at my son's school. And I thought of you when I was leaving him. But can you share with us why you believe in this cultivating self-worth and the value of self-worth and especially with your children, what you're doing to do that? To me, self-worth is one of the most important things that you can own for yourself individually. One, it allows you to determine how people will treat you, what you're willing to accept and what you're not. Two, it allows you to, to know how you want to treat others. My parents just gave me so much self-worth in terms of constantly picking me up and telling me about how I can achieve great things. And I believed it and it made life growing up in dysfunction so much easier. I'm never scared of anything, right? Not in this, like I can get nervous, but I'm not afraid. Like I'm not afraid if we were to lose everything we have. I've been there. I've had ramen for dinner and breakfast for dinner, right? Like it's not a, it's okay. I know when someone's not treating me the way that I deem is necessary. So I move on or move away from them. And I want my children to know that from a very young age. So they never find themselves in situations where they're underappreciated, undervalued and taken advantage of. And so I do things constantly every single day to try to help build that. And now I I do want to say this about parenting. Um, I'm not perfect. I mess up all the time. But if you're a parent who's asking the questions about how you can get better as a parent, you're already being better. And so I just try to do things to be better because there's no manual for this thing. So I want my kids to be able to stand up for themselves, stand up for what's right, be good people, know who they are, and quite frankly, love themselves and each other. I can care less what they end up doing, whether they go to college or not. I don't care. I don't. And that's coming from somebody with a PhD. I don't care. Wow. Thank you. I mean, again, I just, not that there's anything wrong in some of these decisions, but it's this idea of being aware. But this, what you just said is so, it's not often the narrative, especially around kids. It's like, and my world is in in and around the money world, but it's like, I'm going to teach you how the stock market works at six years old. I'm going to teach you financial literacy. I'm going to force this down. And what I hear you doing is you're gifting like the psychological resiliency to, to flourish. And what better gift is that? Yeah. I mean, it's the reason I don't coach my kids. I've been playing sports since I was three years old. And then after I got done playing at 21 for 17 more years, been a part of coaching it, and I don't coach my kids? No, because I sit in the stands and cheer them on as a fan, as a supporter. I want them to experience different styles. I want them to know not all coaches are created equal. Some are good. Some are pretty shitty, man. And you got to get through that. You got to go through the, I hate playing for this team. This coach is horrible. Like you got, but you still got to show up. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all really important to me. And, and I did want to make a comment, too, about something you mentioned about folks who try to find the balance in their own time and, you know, life gets hectic and crazy. And there's two things about that. One of my former MMA coaches told me, you either make it a priority or you make an excuse. So you could totally not scroll through Instagram or TikTok for an hour 
or not binge watch that Netflix show and go spend that with the kids. Or if your kids are playing video games and you don't want to pull them off because they've earned it, why don't you go and sit and have them teach you how to play Fortnite, right? Like I've tried it. I'm not good at it and I don't like it, but like, all right, show me, how do we play this thing? So there's always time to do that. And the other part of it is, again, what is it for? Because you may say, well, I got all this work and all that. You don't have to have that job. Like you can do whatever you want. So like, do you have this job because you really, really love it? And this is the thing you've always wanted to do. Or do you have this because you're chasing this money to pay this mortgage, to pay this car, to keep up with this and yada, yada, yada. So when I hear people say like, I don't have the time or I'm too fragile, too much going on, I'm like, no, you chose that. You chose that over whatever else you say you don't have time for. That goes back to what you said about figuring out who I am. Because I feel like without that clarity, you have this, this, this boat that you don't really know where it's going. And then you fill your schedule because you feel like you need to. If you don't know your core values, go write them down. Think about it. Don't just write them down and then say, these are it. Like Take days to think about them. But there's this very cool thing that I heard that I've stuck to that I realized it made my core values stick across the board, which is instead of trying to be all these different things, pick one adjective, just one, right? Like, do you want to be kind? Just be kind in everything you do, right? My adjective was discipline. Well, if I'm disciplined, I'm not only disciplined about my workout routine, I'm disciplined about the way I work with my kids. I'm disciplined about my work that I do in virtual reality. Like I'm just dis- disciplined about my meditation, like just across the board, everything else take care of itself. Like pick one thing, stop trying to be a million, just be one. Mm-hmm. Everything else will work out. I tell my students this all the time, that there's an elegance in simplicity. Everyone thinks intelligence is adding on and adding on and compass more complex. True intelligence is breaking things down to its most basic components and understanding how it works. There's an elegance in simplicity, man. Yeah, there definitely is. I like this this theme that just came up of knowing who I am. And actually a coach of mine who I believe you're in California, he's from California as well. I hired him to help grow my business. What I didn't realize he was going to do is help me understand who I am. And my business didn't grow, but my life flourished in many other ways, which was a phenomenal, especially around the family. But he always says... In order to know where we're going, we need to know where we're starting, which makes sense. But he gives an airport analogy. So like, I can go, I can have a ticket to go to, say, California from Canada, but I need to know what departure terminal to get there. So in this quest or this aspirational journey to know who I am, I think we have to know where we start from. And on your podcast, you did an episode series with, with your father. What value did you find in understanding your story, his story in helping you understand who you are? So I did this podcast series. It was 27 episodes where I chronicled my dad's life from as far back as he could remember to present day. And um, the reason I did it is, well, so my, my dad's black and we don't have any record of family beyond his mother, period. And so when I think, when I see people with family trees and these photo albums and these documents with lineage, I think, what does the Harrison family have? Nothing. So I did this for my children so that they can hear it later and know where grandpa came from. Then hopefully, maybe once they hear it, they'll do it with me and then their kids will do it with them. And we'll have an audio recording of the Harrison family starting from my dad. And now just to give folks context, 
My dad was on his own from the age of 12, living in the streets, military prison, state prison, county jail, city jail. He's seen it all. And then later in my life, when I was around 10, he became addicted to crack cocaine. So because of that addiction, I had to be an adult really fast. But we were always really close because of the sports and him just allowing me to be me. But what I learned when doing this podcast was it makes sense you went down the route you did. You were living on the streets at 12 trying to fend for yourself. Of course you got into criminal activity. Of course you did. What 12-year-old living on the street by themselves wouldn't to just feed themselves? And of course that led to other things. Those are formative years. So now by the time you're 18, you've lived a full criminal adult life. Like, of course you got into drugs. Like, of course this happened. Like, it makes sense. And now it allows me a chance through his honesty to forgive him for things that, you know, may have hurt or scarred or affected my life. That allowed me to go, I know where I come from. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not scared to talk about it. And I can see how much I've grown or just my, my family's name has grown from where we know it from the start of my dad to where I am today to what my kids have. And we can see the progress over time and just having a better life, understanding of who I am and what I want and what our family's about. Thank you for sharing that. You know, you said it a couple times and I appreciate that, that comment. It makes sense. And, you know, I think in order to cultivate that empathy and that compassion to forgive you, you're teaching everyone a good lesson here is just to listen, to understand someone. And in, in doing that, I, I can hear that it, it certainly helped you evolve into, into the father you are today. With the dysfunction we've had in my household growing up, what saved us was honesty. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have gotten those concepts and been told all this stuff at such a young age. But because I was never lied to, I had the option to decide how I wanted to feel about it. That always just hit me hard being like, you respected me enough to tell me the truth of like, yeah, I'm the one who took your bike and pawned it. Like, I'm sorry about that. Like, I'll try my best to get it back. That allows me to go, okay, I'm going to forgive him for that. Instead of being like, someone stole your bike. I don't know what happened. Now I hate the world and I think people are thieves. And like, no, it's like, okay. And it's just honesty. And I actually did a, a talk at a conference for dads. And I did this talk called Batman versus Superman. As parents, we try to be this superhero, this Superman where we do everything right. But think about it. Superman comes from an alien planet. He can shoot laser beams out of his eyes. He never gets hurt. Like he's this amazing, he can fly, speed of faster than a speeding bullet, all this stuff. Where I was like, you should try to be more like Batman, a regular person who deals with shit, who has their own demons, but uses the resources around them to try to make the world better, right? Like, don't try to be Superman. Just be honest and let your kids see that you're a human being just like they are. So you don't set some expectations that will never be met and they will never meet them and feel like crap themselves. You know, there's so many conversations that I have with people who, as they start to do work, whether it's around their money stories or just themselves, they they start to realize that maybe they didn't get it right when their kids were younger. And then with that comes some shame and some guilt. And I really hear this earlier, you mentioned it too, is like, despite you said earlier, dysfunction at home, there was comfort 
um, which helps you get through that. And then now you're talking again, this honesty, which I think is important is that because we never get it right like Batman, but I'm really hearing this idea of like being there with your kids and in your dad's case, never lying shows that, yeah, we aren't going to get it right. But if we do certain things like you're doing that, or you're talking about that comfort, things can be okay. Uh, and I'll give you an example of, of where that guilt could come in, where that honesty and like how resilient children are. My middle son wants to be an artist. Is I mean, he's probably the best athlete out of the three. And he's like, I want to be in the pro. I want to be in the NFL, but also, you know, sell my paintings and art galleries. Cool. I love it. Right. And he got the bright idea because he wanted to save up money to buy himself some electronic or game or something. He's like, maybe I can take my paintings and do an art sale on the front yard lawn. But I knew we don't have high traffic volume of people walking down our street. So I went to the bank. I got out 21s and I walked up and down the street and knocked on every door on our block and was like, hey, my son's having an art sale at two. Like, I'll give you two dollars to come down and buy some mm -hmm. of his art. I just want to cultivate his dream. And so everyone except one neighbor was like, we don't need your money. And they came down and he got he sold like seventy five dollars worth of art. And he was so happy and jazz and like continue to do his art. And then he wanted to do it again a couple of weeks later. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'm not going to do that this time because I want him to see both ends of the spectrum where, yes, it's super successful, but also like there are days when you, you're just not going to sell anything. And nobody came by because nobody knew. And I was like, well, maybe it's because we didn't market or advertise. Maybe we should knock on doors or put up signs. And he was like, all right. And then he took him to the beach when we went and people just walked right past him like it was nothing. And then he turned to me and said, what really happened that day that I sold all the art? And I was like, this is what happened, man. I went and gave the neighbors some money, but nobody took it. And they came down. But that's the thing. No one took my money. They spent their own money on your art. We just told them. And I did it because I wanted you to continue to believe in your dream. I didn't want that to die because you hit failure or what you might have deemed failure from the very jump. So that's all. Like, that's why I did it. Maybe it wasn't right. I don't know, but I, it came from a place of love. He totally understood, man. He totally understood. He was just like, thanks, dad. Like, okay. It's like, maybe we should do some marketing or advertising next time. That was it. But like, I was all nervous about, do I tell him the truth? Am I, do I feel guilty about this? I was like, man, I'll just be honest with him. Nine years old. Cool. Figured it out. I love that story. And again, I'm going to tie it to why I think this is such an important conversation is that you have the clarity to lean into him to a not just like think I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I'm going to tell this lie. No, you're going to talk to him. You're going to tell him the truth. But you're also facilitating this really interesting learning experience because you have that clarity. You want to spend time with him, not just, you know, brush him off. And that goes to this yeah, I talked about the intoxication of money where sometimes you just, we can't get to these things like running around to all your neighbors to, to encourage them to buy your child's art because we're so busy. And the other thing this makes me think about is I've heard you on your, on another podcast, talk about assumptions and you, you talk, I think it was called suspicion. Um, the episode where you talked about the danger of having assumptions and attaching them to events. And in this case here, you could have easily assumed that it was going to be hurtful to your child to tell him what you did. So, you know, you're going to make a story up in your head and tell him because you're, you're protecting him. Right. 
Yeah. Can you talk about how assumptions come out for you and the danger of assumptions? Assumptions are the mother of all F-ups. They are. If you've ever had a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, and you assume something and it turns out to be wrong, it's usually one of the biggest fights you have. If you assume that this person over here is always trying to stab you in the back, what's your relationship with that person now? If you assume anything you assume 99% of the time, you have zero idea of what's actually going on. You have no clue about what's going on in someone else's head or what else is happening. So the moment you attach yourself to some assumption, you've already made it clear that that's what it is for you. That's what it is. I have friends who they constantly, constantly think someone is trying to, what's the word, uh, get over on them. And I'm like, man, that person's not even thinking about you, right? Or, oh, this person's a jerk. And here's, here's a good one I share with my students. If I was walking down the street, Sean, and you came up and you grabbed my wallet out of my back pocket and took off running and I ran up and I caught you. Now I have two options. I can be like, you're a thief. You're a jerk. You, you are a deviant. Like you're the lowest thing on the planet. But now you have the option to come back and forth with me. And now we're in a debate because you're like, you don't know me. I'm just trying to feed my kids. It's the only way I could do this. Or maybe I am. Who knows? But if I just stick to the thing that actually happened, there's no disputing that. My wallet is in your hand. You took it. End of conversation. End of conversation. I didn't assume anything about who you are, why you did it. Just observe those facts. Those facts are, are right there. My wallet's in your hand. And now I haven't attached myself to anything about who you are as a person, who I am as a person, what I expect from other people. Nothing. It's just what I expect from myself. I just want my wallet back. I'd appreciate it. That's it right? If I call the police, whatever it may be, but I'm, I'm focusing on me and not presuming that everyone's thinking about you. No one's, and I mean this in a good way. No one's thinking about you. No one's thinking about you. Everyone's got their own shit going on, man. Like stop assuming that the world revolves around you. It doesn't. And the moment you do that, things become a lot lighter because you don't put these expectations on folks as well as you give people a little grace. They may be going through something that you are unaware of. And the thing you think they're doing to try to hurt you is actually something that's happening within themselves. Yeah, it speaks to this thing, this idea of putting a little space between, the, the, like Victor Frankl said, the stimulus and response. And I think that comes back to this, uh, this thing that we've been talking about, knowing who I am. So then we're not responding so quickly. Yeah. I want to go back to the father piece of this and, and pulling it together here is, you know, we have limited time, but we talked about this idea that money often makes us feel like we have to allocate our time in a certain manner, which of course we have to make money, but at, at, a, at a certain level, it becomes a choice. It really sounds like you're, you're this practicing, and like you said, you don't always get it right, but practicing this intentional fatherhood where you're being present with your kids going to sports games etc what does it mean to coach doc to be a father it was when i was asked in second grade by mrs russell what i wanted to be when i grew up i said a professional basketball player and a good dad it's been something that's been on my heart from the moment i was a kid i've seen so many of my friends grow up without fathers and even though my dad was in and out of jail and through addictions on and off he was always there when he was there he was present. He was loving. He was caring. 
And I saw what it did for me. I saw what it did for my confidence. I saw what it did for my, the way in which I walk through the world. And I want my kids to be able to feel that as well. I want other kids to be able to feel that when they're around me, that I care. I give a damn. I may not agree with you. I may not like some of the stuff you're into or some of the things you may do, but it'll never stop me from loving you. And that's all of us on a basic level. All of us really just want to be seen and appreciated and loved. That's it, right? Like if that was the currency by which we lived our lives, money wouldn't even be an issue. And so for me, it's all about doing the best I can for these little human beings that didn't ask to be brought into this world that I intentionally brought into this world with my wife. It's, it's my responsibility to make sure that I give them the best of me. And I didn't always do that, but I did the best that I can. And I'm still trying to do the best I can constantly growing and learning so that they can do the same for their kids. I don't want to have future generations of kids without dads or kids being put through hellish life because my kids weren't taught how to do it properly. And so that, that it's, it's just super important to me to always be thinking about how can I be better for them? Because again, they didn't ask to be here. You often hear of second generation of wealth being, you hear in the news, kids spend it away or what they, the money, the money is quickly gone when they didn't build it themselves. And, and of course, there's other examples where it goes well. But what I'm really hearing you say is that when we see them, our kids, when we're around to be there to love them and to appreciate them, we're building that psychological resilience or that strength inside of them that's going to transcend the next generation, their kids and their kids. And it's going to keep going down the line, which you can't say one way or another. But to me, it, right now, it feels much more powerful than sacrificing your whole time to pass on some money. I know the money makes it easy, but geez, that, that love, that connection, you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah. There's a ton of people who have tons of money who are, feel miserable in their life. I don't, I don't want that. And I know a lot of people who don't have very much money who, who are optimistic and, and love life. And kids don't do what you say. Kids do what you do, right? Like you can tell a kid to do a million different things, but they're going to do the thing they see you doing. And I'll never forget in high school during that senior year, my good friend who was my fullback and linebacker, his mom knew that like we struggled at home and like I didn't get lunch money and things like that. So during football season, every Friday before the game, she would pack me a lunch and put a little note in there, just wishing me luck. And I remember just sitting down and like thanking her about that and her and, and then as I got older and started having kids and, and kind of just sharing with her, like how I was feeling, I'll never forget. She told me, you can live in a cardboard box, but if your kids know that they are loved by you and they love you back, everything will work itself out. And I was trying to explain that to my kids one day, driving them to school. And I decided to just call her and in front of them, thank her for that memory. And it's just a powerful, impactful thing to where, that always stuck with me. Like we could be anywhere, no matter what's happening. But if we felt love between each other, like it'll work itself out. We may not be in a mansion, right? But we got smiles on our face and love in our heart. And I know that may sound cheesy, but it's real. You know, that, that does not sound cheesy. And when I heard your son on your podcast, I felt and heard 
that love in your guys's heart when when you were asking him questions and uh, when he said I believe he said that the, the the thing he reads repeats back when you drop off of school is I'm smart kind important and I'm proud of myself and I love myself you could feel that connection oozing through the mic so I don't think it's cheesy and that to me is as a father that's worth any bonus that I had to sacrifice time to hear to hear what I heard with you and your son. Thank you, man. It means a lot. And we do that every day before school. And then we have our nighttime bed routine. And like, it's just important for me to do that as often as I can. Because what you, what you say to yourself, you believe, right? Like, even if you don't believe it, you say it enough, your brain doesn't know the difference. The next thing you know, you start feeling more confident. You, you do actually start love. Do I actually love my, I do love myself. Yeah, man, like, you should, you should. All your flaws and imperfections, love them to death because ain't nobody else got them but you. That, that's certainly true. Well, the final question is, a, is a, a consistent one I ask everybody. Let's say that you're at end of life, whatever age that is, and you're at somewhere located that brings you peace, could be your home, could be anywhere, and you're looking out at, maybe it's that piece of land you're aspiring to get, could be your current backyard, anywhere that brings you peace and you're sitting on a porch and you decide to write your children's children a letter on what you learned about having a healthy and happy relationship with money. What would be a theme to that letter? Patience. When you understand that you can have anything you want in this world, the next part of that is be patient. It will come in its due time. Know when you have enough and that abundance doesn't just start and end with money. Abundance is everything in your life and what's important for you. Know that it was this letter was written with love. And I hope that I got a chance to be a part of your guys' life. And with respect to the money aspect of it, whether you have lots or whether you have little, how you use it and what you do with it is more important than how much of it there is. So use it to benefit the things and the people that you love. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that answer. Well, for listeners who want to hear more about Coach Doc, what you're up to, your online training, your podcast, where would you point people to? You can check out any of the social media handles at one coach doc. It's spelled out O N E coach doc. You can also go to on any of your podcast platforms, docs, daily dose. It's just a, it's black background, my signature coach doc. And it says my, one of my mantras is stop, stay still, breathe and think. And yeah, if you reach out to, to Sean, uh, he can feel free to share any of my information as well. Uh, I will talk to anybody because I put all of my stock and currency in relationships. That is my commerce. Awesome. Well, I'll include all of that. And people listening, if they want to come to the Financial Therapy Association's conference in October, Coach Doc will be there. He's I will. One of the keynote speakers. I'll be speaking. I believe I'll be opening the event on October 6th, Thursday. Don't know what time yet, but I will be there and, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, I do a lot of speaking and this is my first time, my second time speaking to a group of financial professionals. Well, you know, 
this message, at least on our conversation today about understanding who we are and being intentional with our time, I think is a conversation we don't have enough in the financial world. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the time, man. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I write a freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life. It's just a wind in the sail.